Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena, United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hello, friends. It's so good to be with you all today. Uh, This week, we are kicking off a brand new sermon series called Not As It Should Be. And we'll unpack the fullness of that as we go along a little bit more this morning. But um, on Wednesday, we actually are entering into a new season in the life of the church we call Lent. And Lent is the six weeks between um, kind of now and Easter, between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And it is a season that we set apart um, as a part of our rhythm of church. Lent is a season that invites us to slow down. Um, And we wanted to kind of throughout the series, if not as it should be, create a little bit of space for us to observe a meaningful time of Lent together. Um, We just came through the season of Advent in December. Um, That is the season in the church kind of leading up to Christmas. And I think Advent in the church feels so different than Lent because the whole rest of the world is also participating in kind of a new and a different type of season. In the midst of Advent, all of the world around us is also trying to um, help us to be holly and jolly. The music changes and we're getting lots of gifts for friends and for family. We are eating special meals and maybe having lots more um, sugar and treats than normal. It is a season that is just filled with a lot of joy that is even set apart in its own way, um, in a different sort of way than when we get to Lent. I think when you put Lent up to up next to Advent, Um, Lent can just, y'all, it can feel like a bummer of a season. Uh, It is a season of self-denial, of confession, of penitence, like super different uh, than kind of the joy that we find in Advent. Um, Next week, um, as we officially enter into Lent on Wednesday, you will notice that in this season, our worship as kind of a full community is going to look a little bit different. But our hope in doing so is that we can create spaces for a more meaningful Lent for our community as we take time to reflect, time to offer ourselves to God, time to make space to meet God in the midst of our worship in kind of a different way in this season. If you are not familiar with Lent, don't worry, we will not leave you behind. This is a season for you if you feel like you have been longing to hit the reset button, but maybe you don't necessarily know how to. This is a season for you. If you have wanted to grow in your relationship with God, but you have needed some tools and practices to kind of navigate that. This is a season for you if your life is really full and chaotic and you are just longing for a bit more margin in the midst of the chaos. This is a season for you if you've been wrestling with the fact that So much in our communities and in our world is not as it should be, and you have been longing for things to be made right. 
Friends, if any of those things kind of resonates with you, then my hope is that in the midst of this sermon series, not as it should be, as well as in this season of Lent, um, that you will find a, a place to be able to um, grow in your faith as well as you'll find resonance um, with the season that we are taking right now to kind of set it apart and make some more space for God in the midst of our lives. There's a mural that I super love that is in downtown Durham. Maybe some of you have seen it if you have um, ventured up to Durham recently. And it is a mural with a quote from one of my very favorite professors. Uh, you might have heard me talk about her before. Her name is Kate Bowler, and she's a professor at Duke Divinity School. And this big mural says, uh, life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Kate's story. Uh, she is a professor. She also um, knows a little bit about kind of the hardness of life. Uh, she was at the top of her career. This actually was while I was in divinity school. Uh, she married her high school sweetheart. She had just had her first child. And then she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And kind of everything in her life just kind of came crumbling down um, all at once. She knew a little bit about what it is like to have um, the hardness of life um, being diagnosed with stage four cancer, brush up against the beauty and the goodness of life, of having a dream job um, with a kid and a husband that she loves, and to be in a space um, where all of that just didn't feel like it held together um, was kind of what happened when she got her diagnosis. And I love this mural for a lot of different reasons, um, but I particularly love um, where it is placed in downtown Durham and why it was placed there. Um, the place where it is, is just maybe a block away from where a tragic gas explosion um, took the lives of two members of the Durham community in 2019, um, which was, again, actually while I was at Duke in Divinity School, um, I was in class when the explosion happened. And it is a, a real site um, still of, of pain and of longing in the midst of the uh, Durham community. And this mural is also kind of situated at a place where it is on a major thoroughfare to Duke Hospital. And so as medical professionals are headed to the hospital, um, as well as patients as they are headed to and from the hospital, they will see this uh, mural daily. And gosh, just I know that there's so much truth even for me in the midst of that statement. And I have to imagine that for um, people that are in the midst of kind of in the thick of a really hard season, um, that this phrase, life is so beautiful, life is so hard, just has even more kind of depth of resonance there. Um, we live in a culture that is really, really good at the shiny parts of life. I love that Kate talks about that all the time. Um, I think when everything is perfect and beautiful and um, lovely, then it's really easy to kind of live in the midst of those spaces. But when we brush up against the more difficult or harder or uncomfortable parts of life, then sometimes we don't necessarily know how to navigate those things. And this season of Lent in the church gives us tools to be able to name things that are really hard or uncomfortable um, and to name them before God and to know and to trust um, that what it is now is not what it has to be. Um, this is a season in the life of our church community that we can kind of strip back the layers between us and God. Um, and the pain of this season, kind of the, the pain of confession and self-reflection and even reflecting on our own mortality, um, helps us to more fully experience uh, the joy that comes after the season of Lent as we enter into the season and the joy of Easter. Um, one practice 
that is pretty common in the season of Lent is a practice of confession. And I realize that confession might be something that is familiar to many of us. Um, and it is a tool that God gives us to be able to name um, things that are not as they should be. Um, this might be things that are not as they should be in our lives, um, in our communities, or even um, our world. And I realize, again, that the concept of confession might be familiar to many of us. We might have a lot of different kind of images that go around that. Um, but because I realize there might be a lot of different images and ideas that come with confession, I thought it might be helpful to name some of the things that confession is not. Um, confession is not simply a confession booth like we see in the movies that often just kind of turns into a gossip fest. Um, confession is not something that can only happen at the church or with a pastor. Uh, confession is not coercion. It's not something that um, you have to be or are co coerced into doing. Um, confession is not a mandate that we have no say in. But instead, confession is a way for us to name what it is that we realize is not as it should be but before our God. Um, in some traditions, confession is something that you do in the presence of a priest. It's a more kind of formal and ritualized type of deal. And in the Methodist tradition, so when I'm talking about confession throughout this series, um, it actually is something that anyone can do anywhere. It is more of a tool to name a kind of prayer or a series of prayers that we can pray, um, not even a specified amount. You can confess in any way, shape, or form. Um, but when I'm talking about confession, I'm talking more about a, a way of praying or a kind of praying um, rather than a thing or an event that you go to. And the practice of confession allows us to let go of whatever brokenness that we might be experiencing and to be able to take hold of what God might be inviting us into in this season. Confession is actually a gift that is freely offered to us. I know it might be weird to think of confession as a gift. Those things seem like they don't necessarily go together. But I also think it is important to note uh, that when we come before God to confess, we are not just doing so for the sake of bumming ourselves out. Um, but confession actually does free us up from whatever it is that has been binding us or holding us down so that we can move off in a new direction to be freed from whatever it is that has been having a hold on us. We can come to confession uh, knowing that our God is merciful God. So that when we come to confess, we don't have to come in a posture of fear or trembling or anticipating God's wrath or judgment, but rather we can come anticipating that our God is a generous God and that our God will meet us in the midst of our pain. Um, throughout the series, we felt like it might be helpful to pray through one specific prayer of confession, um, even though we might confess in a lot of different ways and use different words that might feel more at home to some of us than others. But we're going to particularly look at the prayer of confession that we pray uh, before communion here in, in our church tradition. And um, this, I think, will help give some words and some language to us. So maybe if confession is not necessarily a practice that you are really familiar with, this, I think, will be a good starting point for us to kind of have common language about what confession can even look like um, when we think about it in our own lives in kind of an everyday, ordinary type of way. So we're going to put the words of the prayer of confession up on the screen. And again, these words might sound familiar to you, particularly if you've had communion with us here in person. Um, these are the words. Um, Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. 
and free us for joyful obedience. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I deeply love uh, the words of this prayer, and they certainly have formed me throughout my life, and I hope that the same um, either will be or can be for you. We are going to be looking at the first line of this, so merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our full heart, and we'll be spending the bulk of our time the rest of the morning focusing in on that. Um, but before we hone in on that, just two notes on kind of the fullness of the prayer. Um, first is you'll note that as we talked about just a minute ago, the prayer begins by naming that our God is a merciful God. And the prayer ends by asking a God to free us, to free us for joyful obedience. And we will kind of not get there until the very end of the sermon series. But yet the reason we are able to fully confess before God is because we know that our God is merciful and because we know that our God is a God um, that frees us from the things that bind us. Um, so again, we'll be looking at kind of this first line this morning, and I believe that it begins with an assumption that we are invited to love God with our whole hearts. This, if you've been in church for any amount of time, should not necessarily be a surprise to you. Um, we regularly hear invitations to love God with the fullness of our heart um, all throughout scripture. Um, perhaps the most famous is what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, um, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. These are not just words that are found in scripture, but they are an invitation uh, to each and every one of us to love God with the fullness of who we are. And as much as I would love to be able to say that 100% of the time I'm able to love God with my whole heart, I also am keenly aware that that is not the case. Um, I recognize that my life uh, too often is not as it should be, but confession for me is a tool that helps me to be able to um, name before God both the recognition of the hard parts of my life, the brokenness that I experience regularly, um, and also to name my desire and my hope um, to love God more fully with the fullness of who I am uh, day after day. As I've been kind of reflecting on this first line of the prayer, I've been asking myself this question this week. Um, why do I so often choose to love God in a half-hearted kind of way? Why do I so often choose to love God in a half-hearted kind of way? Um, I don't necessarily think that anytime I don't love God fully, that it's intentional. Um, I don't even think it's ever even conscious that I wake up and think, well, today I desire to only love God with a third of my heart. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't feel like that is typically the case. Um, but I do realize that I often forget uh, to love God with the fullness of who I am. I regularly um, forget to have God at the forefront of all that I am and all that I do. I often inadvertently harden my heart um, instead of letting my heart be broken for the things that I know God's heart is also broken for. Um, I sometimes recognize that I also go through the motions of loving God with the fullness of who I am without actually letting my heart be opened up uh, to be changed and uh, formed by God. There's actually a, a great passage of scripture that we often come to in this season of Lent. It comes from uh, Joel chapter 2. Uh, not not a book that we too often spend much time in, um, but there's this line that says, rend your heart, not just your clothing. And it is a line that regularly compels me to give the fullness of my heart to God, not just to go through the motions, um, particularly in a season like Lent, where not really for us today, but typically um, in kind of the early church, you would clothe yourself in sackcloth and ashes. It would be kind of outward signs that you're in a season of repentance or mourning. 
and you would actually, yes, like wear kind of burlapy clothes. Um, you'd have ashes on your head and it would be very clear that you were in a different season, a season of, of confession, penitence before God. And this passage, rend your heart, not just your clothing, reminds me regularly um, to not just go through the motions of putting on burlap and sackcloth and ashes, or in our case, going through the season of Lent together, um, but to actually offer myself to God in the midst of those places and spaces uh, rather than just going through the motions. And um, I really love kind of this passage from uh, Joel chapter two and the ways in which it invites me um, into confession. And we're going to look at the message translation of these verses, verses 12 through 14, if you'd like to follow along with us. It says, but also, or but there's also this, it is not too late. God's personal message, um, come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping, sorry for your sins, you know, this notion of confession. Um, change your life, not just your clothes. There's that line. Change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God, and here's why. God is kind and merciful. God takes a deep breath, puts up with a lot. This most patient God is extravagant in love, always ready to cancel a catastrophe. Um, friends, I hope uh, that these words of scripture, these words of God's extravagant love that meet us in the midst of our confession can be an invitation for each and every one of us this morning. Uh, that what is now is not what has to be, but that daily God offers us an invitation to turn to repent, to be made new, not because God requires us or coerces us into confession, but because our God is kind and merciful, because our God is patient and extravagant in love. A friend's act of confession is not simply something that should make you feel guilty or that you should feel obligated to do, um, but rather confession is an invitation to bring your full self before God um, to enter into a posture of a desire to be changed, to be unbound and to be freed from the things that are keeping you from living into the fullness of your life. And so as we enter into this series together, week after week, we'll have the opportunity to practice confession. We are invited in, this, in the midst of confession to be different tomorrow than we are today. We are invited by a God who loves us, who desires to know us and who desires for us to know the fullness of our own belovedness, that in all that we do, we might know that our God meets us in those places, that God does not leave us in the midst of our sorrow or in the midst of our brokenness, but our God meets us in those places, never leaving us alone. And that our God also makes possible always a newness for tomorrow that we can't necessarily even see today. Now, I don't know kind of what you have going on this morning I don't know what season you might be finding yourself in, but I know that every time Lent comes around, I am reminded of just how deep I have a desire for, for my life to be made new once again. I know I have, particularly in this season, a desire for my life to be changed, a desire to bring myself before God so that I can more fully embody the grace and the love and the joy that our God so freely offers to us, but that I too often turn away from. And too often, I think I find that it is easier to love God with a part of my heart and to let other things get in the way of my own desire to be freed up for who God has made me to be. Um, but the good news this morning is that um, in repentance, uh, we serve a merciful God. 
a God who's abounding in steadfast love, a God who even though our love might fail, God's love remains steadfast to us, steadfast through the ages, day after day. So I can bring even my half-hearted worship to God with a desire to love God more fully. And because our God is merciful, I don't have to worry, um, but I can know that our God is going to be abounding with love and grace towards me, that our God will not be stingy, but that our God will abound in grace. Friends, this is a season of reflection, a season of self-evaluation, a season of kind of taking stock of our own lives. And I've been asking myself a few questions as we head into this season um, that I also will offer to you. And the first question is this, what has a hold on my life, my time, and my imagination that I would like to offer to God? Um, maybe it's email, maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's work. Um, I don't know what it is for you, but what has a hold on you that is keeping you from God in this season? Second question, uh, what is holding you back or binding you up from being able to live into the fullness of life? What are you still holding on to that is no longer yours to carry in this season? And third, um, what would it take for you to trust that God will meet us in those spaces? Or what would it take to trust that newness of life is possible? Friends, I don't, I don't know which of those three questions kind of resonates most with you, but I'd invite you to take some time this week to reflect a little bit more fully on those. Friends, life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. I'd invite you to join us on this journey uh, to name some of the harder places of life, knowing and trusting that our God does not leave us alone in these places, but that our God promises to meet us with extravagant love and grace, um, even when we feel like we are living in the midst of our own failure. We're going to have a lot of opportunities in this season uh, to name some of the harder realities um, and trust in the good and the beautiful work that God has ahead for us. Um, as we close, though, I want to invite you to take a little stock of, of your life, um, to set aside the next um, six weeks between now and Easter um, in a different sort of way than maybe you typically do, um, to be able to prioritize these next six weeks um, of, of worship, um, not just because um, we believe that there's something powerful that happens when we show up and worship together, but I would invite you to prioritize these weeks um, leading up to Easter. Again, not because I feel like we are going to have um, beautiful and life-changing words to say, um, but because in the season we actually are, are setting aside time and space in the midst of our worship uh, for silence and for God to be able to meet us in the midst of our worship and for us to be able to make ourselves available to God. And I am just so excited uh, for what is ahead for us in the season. And I hope that you will carve out a little bit more space to be able to uh, meet us in the midst of this season. Um, we're going to close today by praying these words of confession that we've been spending this morning talking about. And I'd like to pair it with a, another prayer, kind of confession oriented prayer that I have been um, sitting with this week, particularly as I've been thinking about what it looks like to offer my full self, uh, my full heart to God. And so I will um, pray, walk through this prayer uh, together this morning. I invite you to have a minute to kind of settle in and take a deep breath, get in a comfortable space um, so that we might be able to pray together. This is a prayer that comes from um, a rhythm of prayer, um, this prayer book that I pretty regularly uh, return to. Um, and um, if you haven't seen it before, it's got this lovely blue cover. Uh, all the prayers were compiled um, by a woman named Sarah Bessie. 
This is a prayer for when we've lost our way again. Merciful God, sometimes it seems like we can't help but lose our way again and again. Our hearts long to follow you, but you know the way of the human heart. You know how in our misguided longings we veer off our journeying to you and begin to chart our own ways by false stars and distorted visions. Forgive us. Forgive us for all the times that we are tempted by the hints of light instead of remaining steered by the assurance of light. Forgive us when we forget that we are already claimed by you, loved by you, and purposed for you. Forgive us when we allow ourselves to shape and be shaped by voices and words that do not bring life. Words that do not create life, nurture life, sustain life, or resurrect life. Merciful God, help us to find our way again. Turn us back towards the road, spotted with your other pilgrims, wayfarers, and repentant servants. Remind us that your way is the way of returning. Guide us by your spirit and by your light. Make us remember the power of the spirit within us. Make us remember the gifts of our minds and our hearts and our bodies that you have bestowed on us. We would use them to honor the directives and the initiatives you lay upon us. We know that our ways are not your ways and we thank you for this. Help us to trust that your ways, to trust your ways over our ways. Remind us of your faithfulness as you forgive us in our short memory. In your immeasurable love and grace and mercy and wisdom, do not abandon us regardless of how often we lose our way. Place your wounded hand upon our broken hearts and turn us back towards you. Lord of light, Lord of the life, Lord of resurrection. Amen. I'm going to invite you to join us with the words on your screen as we pray together um, this prayer of confession. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, and while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquaverina area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join in with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquaverina United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.